few people, uh, travels and whatnot. Uh, <clears throat> Before we start the service, one one just bow for prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your love and your goodness to us. Lord, it's because of you that we're gathered in this way. Father, I just pray for those who aren't here today, wherever they may be, bless them, keep them safe. And Lord, we just pray that uh, you be in our midst. And Lord, as we sing these hymns and songs, Lord, that you'd be honored and glorified. And through this whole service, we just commit it into your care. In Jesus' name, amen. I haven't gotten as techie yet as some of these guys, so maybe we'll kind of take you back to 1980s or 90s, sing some old hymns and choruses, so hopefully you don't not mind, but um, hopefully God can be glorified in all of this. So um, why don't we stand for our first uh, chorus, uh, sing, let's start with Alleluia, Alleluia. Alleluia, Alleluia. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. You're worthy. You are worthy. You are worthy. You are worthy, 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 you are worthy. And then uh, what a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God. We bring the sacrifice of praise. Let me find it here. We bring the sacrifice of praise into the house of the Lord. We bring the sacrifice of praise into the house of the Lord. We bring the sacrifice of praise into the house of the and we offer up to you the sacrifices of thanksgiving. And we offer up to you the sacrifices of joy. Um, with that one. 
I know there's a few uh, verses to this one. Do you know I'm a new creation? I'm a brand new man? All things have passed away? <clears throat> I think we'll just sing the uh, chorus on this one, and we'll, we'll go through it twice. I'm a new creation. I'm a brand new man. All things are passed away. I've been born again. More than a conqueror. That's who I am. I'm a new creation. I'm a brand new man. Sing it again. I'm a new creation. I'm a brand new man. Old things are passed away. I've been born again. More than a conqueror. That's who I am. I'm a new creation. I'm a brand new man. Hopefully that's all of our testimony. Sing, uh, we will glorify the King of Kings. We will glorify the Lamb. We will glorify the Lord of Lords, who is the great I Am. We will glorify the King of Kings. We will glorify the Lamb. We will glorify the Lord of Lords, who is a great I Am. Lord Jehovah reigns in majesty. We will bow before his throne. We will worship him in righteousness. We will worship him alone. He is Lord of heaven, Lord of earth. He is Lord of all who live. He is Lord above the universe. All praise to him we give. Oh, hallelujah to the King of kings. Hallelujah to the Lamb. Hallelujah to the Lord of Lords, who is a great I am. <clears throat> we bring the sacrifice of praise into the house of the Lord. We bring the sacrifice of praise into the house of the Lord. We bring the sacrifice of praise into the house of the Lord. And we offer up to you the sacrifices of thanksgiving. And we offer up to you the sacrifices of joy. Amen. 
Come bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord. <clears throat> Come bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord. We stand by nine in the house of the Lord. Lift up your hand in the holy the Lord and bless the Lord. Let's repeat. Come bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord. We stand by night in the house of the Lord. Lift up your hand in the holy morning have a praise report i know sometimes it's also time for like prayer requests or whatever but uh i like in particular we're just singing this song and some of the courses we've been singing you have uh, something on praise on your heart so anyone so I was blessed with what Brother Phil shared. Uh, probably most of you seen the um, revival that's been going on in Kentucky there at the college or the university. And that young man just sharing his testimony of what's going on. And this uh, revival's been going on for uh, multiple days. And it's not only impacting the community there, but he was sharing. It's like there's multiple people across the world that are being changed. And it's just uh, showing the uh, the power of God that we really do serve.
Sing there, I will enter his gates with thanksgiving in my heart. I will enter his gates with thanksgiving in my heart. I will enter his courts with praise. I will say this is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice for he has made me glad. He has made me glad. He has made me glad. I will rejoice for he has made me glad. He has made me glad. He has made me glad. I will rejoice for he has made me glad. Man. Oh. Yes. that uh, song uh, of victory in Jesus. I don't have it here, but it's also in, in your Zion's praises in your green book number 521. If you want to turn to your Zion's praises, it's 521. Oh, victory in Jesus. <clears throat> I heard an old, old story, how a Savior came from glory, how he gave his life on Calvary to save a wretch like me. I heard about his groaning, of his precious blood, the toning. Then I repented of my sins and won the victory. Oh, bring Jesus, my Savior forever. He sought me and he bought me with his redeeming blood. Love me ere I knew him and all my Plunge me to victory beneath the cleansing flood. I heard about his healing, of his cleansing power revealing, how we made the lame to walk again and cause the blind to see. And then I cried, Dear 
Come and heal my broken spirit. And somehow Jesus came and brought to me the victory. Oh, victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. He sought me and he bought me with his redeeming blood. He loved me and I knew him and all my love is through him. He plunged me to victory beneath the cleansing flood. I heard about the mansion he has built for me in glory. And I heard about the streets of gold beyond the crystal sea. About the angels singing and the old redemption story. And some sweet day I'll sing up there the song of victory. Oh, victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. He sought me and he bought me with his redeeming blood. He loved me ere I knew him, and all my love is through him. He plunged me to victory beneath the cleansing flood. I'm wondering, I don't know, uh, do you know, let's see, I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. Do y'all know that one? Yes. I didn't know if uh, sometimes just telling Anthony, sometimes uh, you think someone should know, but from various backgrounds or whatever, various circles, and like, wow, don't, you don't even, you know, it's like, we think you should know it, but we don't. Um, yeah. I guess we'll, we'll start out with the chorus. I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. I've been washed in the fountain, cleansed by his blood. Join ears with Jesus as we travel this side, for I'm a part of the family, the family of God. In the first verse, you, you will notice we say brother and sister around here. It's because we're a family and these folks are so dear. When one has a heartache, we all shed a tear and rejoice in each victory in this family so dear. I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. I've been washed in the fountain, cleansed by his blood. Join us with Jesus as we travel this side. From a part of the family, the family of God. Maybe that's a little high, maybe. You, you will notice we say brother and sister around here. It's because we're a family and these folks are so dear. When one has a hard day, we all 
shed a tear and rejoice in its victory in this family so dear. I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. I've been washed in the fountain, cleansed by his blood. Join earth with Jesus as we travel this side. For I'm a part of the family, the family of God. The second verse is from the door of an orphanage to the house of a king. No longer an outcast, a new song I sing. From rags unto riches, from the weak to the strong, I'm not worthy to be here, but praise God, I belong. Amen. From the door of an orphanage to the house of a king, no longer an outcast, a new song I sing. From rags unto riches, from the weak to the strong, I'm not worthy to be here, but praise God I belong. I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. I've been washed in the fountain, cleansed by his blood, joined earth with Jesus as we travel this side. For I'm a part of the family, the family of God. All right, thank you. Be seated. We're kind of uh, for announcement for the order of the service, uh, Anthony's got the uh, children's lesson, and then uh, Brother Phil will be sharing the uh, the message with us. And um, following that, Phil will integrate the, the communion at that time. And then um, our closing, as you know, uh, have probably maybe heard there is no noon meal today, so. Uh, Hope your time is well spent with family and that type of thing. Um, just a reminder for a men's book uh, Bible study at the Lap Home is on Wednesday, February the 29th at 6 22nd. I'm sorry, at 6 30. Okay, not this Wednesday, but the following week. Um, wow, we got a couple's night playing for Friday, March 24th. At 6.30, details to come. So, I guess I think that's it for uh, the uh, announcements. So, we'll time, turn the time over to the children and Brother Anthony. All right, yes, come on up here. Find a place to sit down. See if we can uh, find a story or a lesson for you. So, how many of you have heard God talking to you? Does God talk to you? Okay. 
How many of you have heard God talking to you? I was sure hoping it was more than that. Phil, we need a sermon about listening for God's voice. (laughs) Do you think we can hear God talking to us? Even little kids? All right. Do you know of any stories in the Bible where that happened? Okay, well, they were God talked to them, but we the stories we hear about them is when they were a little bit older. How about how about a story where there was a little kid that God talked to? Samuel. Samuel. Do you do you remember the story about him? Yeah. Well, now in, in this story, the Bible says that at that time it wasn't very. Uh, it wasn't very popular, or it didn't happen very often that that people heard God talking to them, or that they had dreams or visions. Now, I think that was probably mostly because people weren't listening for God. And you know what? I think that's why people don't hear God talking them to them today, is because they're just not listening. How, how many of you kids have heard your mom and dad talk to you and they say I've been calling for you four times and you didn't answer does that ever happen Uh uh-huh well what happened that what happened that you didn't hear them those four times you only heard them the last time you weren't listening that's usually the problem well you know what that's a problem with us adults, too. God talks to us all the time, but a lot of times when God talks to us, we're not listening. Well, let's, let's think about Samuel. What did, what did he say? So, so you, know, you know the story about Samuel. He was a little boy that lived in the temple and helped Eli the priest. Eli was an old man, and he was almost blind, and he wasn't very healthy. In fact, the Bible says he was a great big fat man. Yep, God called Samuel and he thought Eli was calling him. So it's it's nighttime and they're asleep in the in the temple and Eli and Samuel's laying there and not quite asleep and he hears someone saying, Samuel, Samuel. Well he runs to Eli. Well what what would happen? What happens if you hear Somebody in your house calling your name. Sherry! (laughs) Who do you think it is? It's probably mom or dad, isn't it? Well, that's kind of what Samuel thought. So, Well, Eli's the the only adult in here, so he's the one that's calling me. So he runs to Eli. And Eli's like, nope, I wasn't calling you. You go lay down, go back to sleep. Then what happened? Yep. What did you say this time? Um, nope, I wasn't calling you. Go back to sleep. That's right. Yeah, he said, "Speak, Lord, I'm listening." Oh, do you think? Do you think little kids can hear God speaking to them? 
So, what are ways you think you can listen to God and hear God talking? Or what will train you to listen to God? You have any idea? Okay, praying. So you're used to talking to God. If you're used to talking to God, then you can be used to him answering you and talking to you, right? What else? What are, what are other ways we can listen to God? Okay, because God speaks to us through the Bible. Yep. Okay, those are all good ways to learn to listen to God. And as you get older, the more you listen, the more God's going to talk to you. And you'll be able to hear his voice in your heart. And as you get older, God will say, I want you to serve me. I want you to be my child. I want you to live for me. And what do we say when God talks to us? Yes, Lord. Yep. So let's remember to listen. We can learn by listening to our parents, learning to listen to other people. And all the other things you guys said, reading your Bible, praying, that all teaches us to listen to God so that when God speaks to our heart, that we listen and we know that it's God speaking to us. And we can all say, yes, God. I'm listening, and I'll do what you're saying. Think that's a good lesson to remember? Yes. So we all need that. All us adults need that too, right? Amen. Amen. All right, you can go back to your parents. Before we look into the word, um, Gloria has been struggling with her back again. It's been an ongoing situation with her, uh, and doctors and the therapists have been trying to help her, but she just shared with me again, she had a really tough week. So I asked her if she would be willing to be anointed with oil. Gloria, would you come up and the ministry team and whoever else would like to come? And let's just pray over her sister and anoint her with oil. This is what the Lord told us to do in the book of James. And uh, I think it should be uh, something which we frequently do as a church. Just come together and pray with each other and anoint her with oil. You can turn around and sit down if you want. Is that easier or do you just want to stand? Okay, very good. And if let's just gather around, those of us, and go ahead and pray as you feel led, and then I'll anoint her. Amen, Jesus. For healing and for strength and for physical body. Yes. And most of all, for peace in her heart. And Amen, Lord. And your joy in her life. Yes. As she continues to live for you. So touch her name, Father. Mm -hmm. Yes, Lord, I thank you for Gloria and her example 
how she always has a word or for mm. any of us that meet her on Sunday or just Amen. Week, thank you, Jesus. She always for has her. a hope within her, yes. Lord. And I thank you that you have saved her soul, you have changed her life. Mm. And Father, I just pray that you would heal her. Amen, Lord. That you would heal her pain, that she would be able to um, continue to walk and, and be the encouragement, Lord, to all of her neighbors and through the community and her sons and her family, Lord. I just pray that you would just be with her. Amen, Jesus. Yes, Lord, thank you for this opportunity to gather around our sister and lift her up before your throne of grace. Father, we come to you and we thank you that you are still the divine healer. Lord Jesus, no, you haven't changed. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. And Lord, our faith is still in your healing grace, both in our inner man and our outer man. And yet we thank you and bless you that though our outer man is decaying, our inner man is renewed day by day. Apostle Paul said through the Holy Spirit, and I pray that for our sister, Lord, that even as she's getting older and her, her body, Lord, is, is slowing down and is aching and there are these things, Lord, that they, they just can't seem to touch and heal. Yet, Lord, I pray that you would strengthen her spirit with all might by your Holy Spirit, Lord. Raise her up day after day, renewing her in your love and, and give her the grace, Lord, to, to endure unto the end. But also, Lord Jesus, we come believing that you're the divine healer. Not only do you give grace for our spirit, but you also can touch our body and heal us for your glory. And that's what we're asking you for this morning, Lord, for our sister. And I bless you and thank you for her testimony, her love for you, her, her love for the gospel, and how you are using her over here at the, uh, where she lives, Lord, to speak to her neighbors about the love of Christ and share Jesus with them and how she was able to lead Darlene into coming before your throne, Lord, before she passed away and, and leading her to Jesus. And Father, I pray that you would continue to pour this grace upon our sister even as she suffers silently before you. Give her that grace, Lord Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. Our sister? Yes, please do. Dear Lord, I, I thank you for this church mm. and the opportunity that you offered to us this morning, Lord. Yes. And it's available and it's biblical 
Yes. Amen, Lord. Hallelujah. Yes, Lord. Yes. Your sister, we anoint you with oil in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Be healed. Amen. Amen. He's worthy. You can turn your Bibles with me for a word this morning from the Lord to Romans chapter 3. In Romans chapter 3, I was deeply blessed and am being transformed. There's a difference between being transfixed and transformed. Do you know the difference? What does someone do when they're transfixed with something? What does the word mean? Someone tell me. That's right. You become focused on something. When someone transfixes you, it means they get your attention and you can't take your eyes off of it. It's just like, I'm transfixed. Some people... Some young men get like that when they see the girl they're going to marry, right? Can't take their eyes just keep. They try not to, and there it goes again. And the Lord uses this to bring two people together and have them be married. Without that, as the world calls it, chemistry, which is actually not. That's just the carnal term of it. It's actually the Holy Spirit. When he guides two people together. And you know what's amazing? When you're led by the Spirit for the rest of your life, you just can't take your eyes off of her. It's it's still there. It never leaves you. But you know what it does? It's more than just your eyes you can't take off of her. As the Holy Spirit takes that transfixation transfixation he transforms your life changes your whole life everything changes and you get married and life keeps changing and it just keeps changing as you get older it just keeps changing right Deanna yep you're a good example angel angel and Deanna of that and those of you who are older and who are married for many years you know that testimony This word, the word of Christ, that's what Jesus is intent to do with his word. When he transfixes our eyes on this word, changes our life. Begins to build a relationship that even if it's there, makes it stronger, changes it as you get older. And that's been my journey with Jesus as uh, just like my journey with my wife is as, 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 as we get older and life changes and 
Everything around us changes. It changes in a transforming kind of way. Romans chapter 3 verse 19. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law. He's speaking of the law of Moses. The law that God gave to Israel through Moses had never been given to anyone before that like that. Never. God spoke to people through faith. Look at Abraham. Did Abraham have the law spoken to him? Yes or no? No. He did not. Look at Enoch. It tells us that Enoch walked with God. And all of a sudden one day, he wasn't around. He just disappeared. Did he have the law of Moses spoken to him? No. So Moses, he's clearly speaking about the law that God gave to a multitude, over a million people at one time through the man Moses. And this law was spoken to Moses up in the mount for 40 days and 40 nights. He was there with God. And God revealed to him not only the law as it's recorded to us in Deuteronomy and Leviticus, but also the five books of Moses. That's where Moses wrote Genesis. That's where man first heard about Genesis. Man had never heard about his creation before that. Not like this until Moses wrote it because God spoke it to him. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law. Why? That every mouth may be closed. Boy, we can babble about a lot of things. But when we're faced with the law of God, talking ceases. When the law of God was first spoken to Israel, all was quiet as they listened in Exodus chapter 20. But then something happened. That all the world and all the world may become accountable to God. Never before had a million people faced their creator like they did then. And his law was given to them. Turn your Bible with me to Exodus chapter 20. In Exodus chapter 20, we read this story. In verse 19, chapter 19, verse 18, now Mount Sinai was in all in smoke because the Lord had descended upon it in a fire and its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace and the whole mountain quaked violently when the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder Moses spoke and God answered him with thunder and the Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain and Moses went up 
Then the Lord spoke to Moses, Go down, warn the people, lest they break through to the Lord to gaze, and many of them perish. And also let the priests who come near to the Lord consecrate themselves, lest the Lord break out against them. And Moses said to the Lord, The people cannot come up to Mount Sinai, for thou didst warn us, saying, Set bounds about the mountain and consecrate it. Then the Lord said to him, Go down and come up again, you and Aaron with you, but do not let the priests and the people break through to come up to the Lord, lest he break forth upon them. So Moses went down to the people and told them, Then God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the water underneath the earth. You shall not worship them or serve them. For I... The Lord your God am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children, on the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing loving kindness to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. He continues to speak all the way down unto verse 18. And all the people perceived the thunder and the lightning flashes and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they trembled and stood at a distance. Then they said to Moses, speak to us yourself and we will listen. But let not God speak to us lest we die. And Moses said to the people, do not be afraid, for God has come in order to test you and in order that the fear of him may remain with you so that you may not sin. So the people stood at a distance while Moses approached the thick cloud where God was. And then the Lord continued to speak to Moses. The law stood, was spoken to all these people who had never heard God speak before in their life. And after God spoke this whole law to them, they couldn't bear it. They said, we're going to die. Why do you think they said that? Because they couldn't do it. They knew, I can't do this and live. I'll never make it. How can I not have any other gods before this God? Their their tents were full of idols. They had brought their idols from Egypt with them. It tells us that in the book of Amos. And Stephen in Acts chapter 7 reminded the Jews of this. You brought your gods, Sikoth, and I forget the name of the other one, all the way from Egypt through the wilderness. You kept those gods in your tents. They didn't want to give up those gods. And God said, if you don't, you're going to die. And so the people all said, we're going to die. That's what the law brings, brought to people. It still brings that to people. 
However, there is now a law of the Spirit. In Romans chapter 8, it says, All those who are in Christ Jesus have not come to the law of sin and death anymore, but now have the law of the Spirit in Christ Jesus. There is no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit, do you know the word? Delivers us from the law of sin and death. Turn your Bibles with me to Hebrews. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 18. I read to you out of Exodus 18, 19, 20. This is Hebrews 12, verse 18. For you have not come to a mountain that may be touched to a blazing fire and to darkness and gloom. That's what it brought to them. Trembling, gloom, and a whirlwind. And to the blast of a trumpet and the sound of words which sound was such that those who heard begged that no further word should be spoken to them. For they could not bear the command. If even a beast touches the mountain, it will be stoned. And so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I am full of fear and trembling. You haven't come to God that way, have you? Not even one of you. Have any of you ever come to God and experienced Him like this? No. You haven't. There's now a new and a living way in which we come to God. Hebrews 10 tells us. But you have come to Mount Zion. Verse 22. And to the city of the living God. The heavenly Jerusalem. And to myriads of angels. When we come and pray, that's how we meet God. That's where we meet Him. Earlier in Hebrews it says, You have come boldly, confidently to the throne of grace to find mercy and help in our time of need. That's the God we come to now. The same God, but by a new and living way. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to myriads of angels when we prayed over Gloria. I don't know what comes to your mind when you pray to God, but I always think of this. I'm coming to a God who is on His throne, and there are myriads of angels. He's in the new Jerusalem, and I'm here on earth. And there's Jesus, our mediator. And I'm speaking to Him. That's actually happens for real whether you see it or not whether you think you're just saying a prayer that's who you're talking to and he is listening to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven and to the and to god the judge of all 
and to the spirits of righteous men made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood which speaks better than the blood of Abel. What did the blood of Abel speak? Do you remember? Hmm? Yes, but more than that. When God met Cain and he said, Cain, where's your brother? And Cain answered, what, am I my brother's keeper? God answered him with a word. Do you remember? What did he say? Your brother's blood is crying out to me from the ground. Ooh. What was it crying? Justice. Avenge me, God. He killed me. And his blood was crying out for justice. Not vengeance, justice. Did God answer the cry of Abel's blood? Yes or no? He did. He did answer that. And Cain suffered for the rest of his life the justice of that. Yet, not fully. Because God said, through the law of Moses, later, he that kills a man with the sword, by the sword will his blood be shed. He that kills must be killed. Eye for eye, tooth for tooth, that was all part of the law. You kill, you die. Cain lived. Abel did not. So do you see that God's justice is always infused with his mercy? God doesn't bring vengeance. That's in our hearts. We want to bring vengeance. But God's justice always is infused with his mercy. And that's what we come to receive when we come to the throne of grace. We find mercy. And God, even in giving the law to Moses, where did the high priest once a year bring all the sins of the people? To what did he bring the sins of the people? Where sat the mercy seat? He brought all the sins of the people once a year to the mercy seat. So even in giving the law of if a man sins, he shall die, the law of sin and death, in the midst of it, God placed a mercy seat where all men's sins could be forgiven once a year. And we come to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, to the sprinkled blood which speaks Better than the blood of Abel. See to it that you do not refuse him who is speaking. Anthony spoke about to the kids about Samuel didn't refuse the voice. When God spoke, he didn't pretend to be sleepy, did he? No. He gets up and responds to the voice. See to it that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if those did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth... Much less shall we escape who turn away from him who warns from heaven. And his voice shook the earth then. 
But now he has promised, saying, Yet once more I shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. And this expression, yet once, denotes the removing of those things which can be shaken as of created things in order that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us show gratitude by which we may offer to God an acceptable service with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Notice God hasn't changed. Still the same God. But he now brings to us a new entranceway. It's, that, it's like that, you know. I picture it, it's like when God brought people to him through the law. He brought them through a created, a man-created tabernacle. And then later, a man-created temple. And all of those things, earthquakes could shake. Everything that was created by men could be destroyed by God. But now, when all those things are in ruins, and by the way, both of those houses are gone. They're gone. God destroyed both of them. And no one to this day, well, some scientists or some people, they're Rumors that they found the mercy seat or they know where the ark is hidden and all those things. Well, guess what? It simply doesn't matter anymore. They're a mystery. God tucked them away somewhere in the earth so that most people live for it. Anyone don't, doesn't know. No one goes there to worship anymore. No one has the mercy seat, the man-created mercy seat any longer. And when Jesus died on the cross something very significant happened. The mercy seat that if anyone came to more than once a year and then only the high priest bearing the sins of the people, if you went through that curtain, you were dead. You didn't have mercy. You were dead. It was a very rigid way that God had ordained for man to find mercy. It was through the high priest alone. Now, you couldn't go there yourself. But when Jesus died, what happened to that curtain in the temple? An angel came. And just to make sure that men couldn't do it, it was rent from the top to the bottom. You know, you can always tell if you look carefully where something begins to tear. And that's what men seen. Can you imagine this was the Passover? This was the day when the temple was full of people. All there to worship, to find mercy with their sacrifice. The high priest was ready, getting ready to go into this most holy place and offer for the sins of the people a sacrifice. And in that multitude, while Jesus when he died out there on the cross as a criminal. The Jews had gotten rid of him. They were sure. Now they were there to worship. <laughs> the curtain 
was rent open. Can you imagine what those people did in the temple that hour? They probably fled for their lives. I don't know. I, it doesn't tell us what happened, but it would have been the most scariest moment in your life as a Jew. Are we all going to die? Maybe they thought back to Mount Sinai. What is God doing? He was creating a new way, a living way. Now, the temple of God is not made with things that can be shaken or torn down with earthquakes. Seventy years later, the temple was completely destroyed. And now all that's left is the wailing wall. That's all the Jews got left. It's very interesting that God in His sovereignty now left the Gentile Muslims build their sacred mosque on the Temple Mount. It's like God said, I'm going to put something there so that my people will never go there to worship me again. I'll put the heathen there because I want to be worshipped. Like Jesus told the woman, Samaritan woman at the well, the day is coming and now is when God's people will worship Him in spirit and in truth. Not here and not in Jerusalem, but in spirit and in truth. And then Paul says to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and all the way through chapter 6, Do you not know that your bodies are the temple of the Holy Ghost? God, in His new living way, took us from a point of worship where we, man experiences and meets with God, from man-built things to only that which is created by God, the heart of a human being. Man will never create another man. Only God does. Do you see what He did? And as I read Romans... This is the picture I got in my mind. Turn your Bible back with me to Romans chapter 3. How is it that Jesus can now be both just and the justifier of men. Romans chapter 3, verse 21. But now apart from the law, the righteousness, of, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ, for all those who believe, for there is no distinction, it's for all those who believe, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Being justified is a gift. It's a gift. And it's more than mercy. Mercy is what I need when I sin and I need mercy instead of the judgment for that sin. It's mercy is the, is the absence of the penalty of sin. Mercy is what 
Cain got. He should have died that day. But he got to live and build a family. And there's a whole generation of Cain on the earth still today. Well, I guess that's a bit debatable, right? Because then Shem came and the generations through Noah and all those people were destroyed. But he did get mercy. However, Cain missed something. What was it that Cain missed in his life from God? Though he received mercy, was he ever justified before God? No. He was never justified. He bore the penalty of his sin with a mark on him for the rest of his generations, the rest of his life. It's interesting, a few generations later, Lachish says, Oh, if Cain killed a man and bore the sin of his people, I've killed two men. I'm double guilty. They were still reflecting on his sin. Generations later. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by His grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. No one else. Only through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly right there on the cross as a propitiation in his blood. And that word propitiation is a big word. We don't use it anymore today in our modern English language. It simply means a substitute. It was the substitute lamb that was given in your stead. Barabbas should have been hanging there, according to the law. Instead, that night, he was freed. And Jesus hung there. That's a propitiation. In his blood through faith. This was to demonstrate what? What does the cross demonstrate to you? Okay, mercy, what else? Because the law gave the mercy seat. Righteousness. Now how many of you believe in your heart that Christ hanging on the cross was right. It was right. It was God's righteousness. You know why we miss it, brothers and sisters? So often in our Christian culture, modern Christian culture today, we sing of the cross, we speak of the cross as God's mercy, only His mercy. And we almost look at it as a point of unrighteousness. I deserve to be there, so he took my place. We miss the justifier when we do that. That was God's righteousness. And when you see it as God, this was to demonstrate his righteousness because in the forbearance of God, he passed over the sins previously committed. Not only did this bring forgiveness, God demonstrating what was right, that it is right for Christ to take upon him the sins of the whole world is not only mercy, it is right. 
It is the right answer to the problem of sin. It's the only answer. It's God's answer. And it's much bigger than just me getting his mercy. It's about me being justified through Jesus Christ. Through God's right answer to my problem of sin. For the demonstration, verse 26, I say of his righteousness at the present time that he might be just. He is just. This was where God's justice was demonstrated. But that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. And Jesus demonstrated Beautifully, on the cross with the other two thieves. The one condemned. The other justified. Do you get that? What made the difference? The law, the works of the law, what made the difference? Faith in Jesus. The one recognized who Jesus was. The other didn't. He said, if you're really Jesus, come down from the cross and save us both. He had the same heart attitude to Jesus that all the mocking crowd down below had. But this one, this really got me. This is so powerful. This is the only man that day who recognized and experienced being justified by his faith. Even the disciples stood afar off and we're full of fear. Now John was up here by the cross with Jesus' mom. Perhaps he had a deeper experience there. But this thief on this cross was the only one that day that experienced the justification of Jesus Christ in his life. Was he only showing mercy? No. It did receive mercy. But more than that, what did Jesus say to him? What was the answer of justification? Today, you will be with me. Today. And that's the difference, dear brother, sister. If you are living under the mercy of God, you are still living under the law. If you see the cross... And the work of the cross is only God's mercy in your life, taking away the righteous judgment you deserve for your sin, but in mercy, like Cain got it. You know, God still has a little mercy on you. He lets you live. You got no more than the old way that has been done away with. Hebrews 10. And you won't come to God this way. The Hebrews 12 way. When you pray, you pray as a beggar. 
You pray for this mercy. You pray like they prayed, you know, like Joab. When Joab killed Abishai and some of the others, you know, and, and, and Abner. Remember Joab, who was the commander of the army of Israel, of David? And, and when, when, the, when the tribe of Judah and David, being king there for six years, warred against Israel until finally Abner, the commander of Saul's army, comes to David and he makes a treatise, right? He says, we're done fighting. I know God has made you king. And he makes, he says, I'll go out and I'll bring all of Israel to you. And Joab was so angry against Abner. Can someone tell me why? Do you remember why he was angry? Why was he angry with Abner? Abner had killed his brother. On that first day of the battle, Abishai, Joab's brother, had chased Abner. And he wouldn't leave off of him. And Abner warned him again and again, Stop chasing me. I don't want to kill you. Go chase somebody else. But he stayed hot on him. And finally Abner killed him. And everybody who came to him, and his blood was all over the road, they stopped. Stopped the fighting that day. But not in Joab's heart. In Joab's heart, there was a war. Revenge. Not justice. Revenge. And Saul, when Abner came, and he walked out of the city, Joab wasn't there. But Joab comes in. And he says, why was Abner here? And so he goes out after Abner. And what does he do? Kills him. Revenge. And David left Joab live. Because Joab was the commander of his army. And God, for some reason, had mercy over Joab. It doesn't tell us that he got anything for that murder. It was cold-blooded murder. But he received mercy. So much mercy, he continued to be David's captain until the rest of his life. All the way up until Solomon was made king. All through David's reign as king, Joab remained as the leader of the army. Kept his position. He suffered no loss. He got mercy. Until one day, when Solomon was made king, Joab sensed God's judgment on his life. And he runs to the altar and he grabs a hold of the horns of the altar and he's begging for mercy. Is that how you approach the throne of God, brother, sister? If you live the life of Joab, you'll end up like that before God. Living in God's mercy doesn't justify you. It doesn't set you free from the law of sin and death. It hangs over you and follows you like a shadow. It's like that shadow follows you even as you walk in the sunlight. The other day, and our boys love to do this, and sometimes we're walking down, and, and it only happens when you're out in the sun's bright like this morning, and you're walking down, and as you're walking, your shadow is following you. And the boys like to jump on each other's shadows and say, gotcha, gotcha. You know? Well, that's exactly what... The law of sin and death does to us. It follows our shadow and people are interacting with that shadow and we live in the shadow of Jesus' mercy. But once we come through faith instead of living under the law like this, 
towards God, we recognize that this was righteous. It was the righteousness of God so that Jesus is in his justice had the right through the cross to become my justifier. It's not only mercy, it's justice. And something happens to the soul of a man when he's justified. Have you experienced that? When you have received mercy, you know you should stay, still pay that. You know you should have paid that debt. You were forgiven, but it hangs over you. Almost like, I know I'm forgiven, but I still kind of, you know, if he would the right, if he would have done the right thing instead of showing me mercy, I'd be paying for it. This is the right thing. Christ's work on the cross was the righteousness of God so that he could become the mediator, so that we could come to him as the mediator of all men, the propitiation for our sins. And he becomes the justifier of our souls. It's the righteous thing, not only his mercy. Oh, man, this is huge. I, I hope and I pray that the Lord will continue to, to grow this within our understanding of our hearts so that we can live there. And the shadow of sin and death is eliminated. It's completely gone. It's not following us any longer. That's the old way. Their sins followed them all year long until finally the high priest made intercession. But there was still every remembrance of those things, Hebrews tells us, every year. But now he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Where then is boasting? It is excluded. You see, something happens when Jesus becomes our justifier. There's no more boasting. You and I have nothing to boast about in ourselves. The two, the Pharisee and the publican who went to the temple to worship God, Jesus gave this story. You remember the story? These two men. The Pharisee went there and he prayed to God and he said, Lord, I thank you that I'm not like this guy. I do all these things. He came to God boasting and he left boasting. The publican came, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. And he left justified. Not a sinner any longer. Look what happened to Mary Magdalene, one of the women who followed Jesus. She had seven devils possessed her, her whole life, at least her adult life. But when she met Jesus, they never came back again. All those demons were put out of her life, and she was the first to meet Jesus at the tomb of his resurrection. The first justified. She didn't live in the shadow. Her testimony to many Christians was not about all her bondage of sin any longer. It was who Jesus is and who he was to her and now what he's doing in her life. There's one thing that has often troubled my heart. As I grow in Christ and in this truth, 
is that when God's people stand up to share a testimony of their faith, it seems like so often it's easily done that the testimony is about 30 or 40 minutes of my sin life and then 10 minutes and then Jesus came and he saved me and now my testimony is over. And everyone walks away with the primary story being sin. Isn't there something wrong with that? There is. There's something terribly wrong with that. The primary story should be Jesus being my justifier. Not the mercy on my life, but Jesus the justifier of my life. Where then is boasting? It's excluded by what kind of law? Of works? No, but by a law of faith. For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also. Since indeed God, who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith is one. Do we nullify the law through faith? May it never be. On the contrary, we establish the law. Chapter 5 of Romans 1. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Justification brings peace. That's the result. Justification brings peace. Mercy does not. If you live under God's mercy, your soul is still at unrest. You're going to miss the peace of Jesus Christ in your heart. Colossians 3, let the peace of Christ rule, govern your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. The peace of God comes through justification and only through justification. Through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace. It's given to us purely by grace. His divine influence, His words to this thief on the cross justified Him. Nothing else. Nothing else justified this man except Jesus' influence, his recognition of who Jesus is and Jesus' words back to him. Today, you'll be with me in paradise. It's grace in which we stand and we exalt in the hope and the glory of God. There are in... 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 14. It's a wonderful verse that I often share with folks because the Lord shares it with me many times. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 14. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. That grace. The, the, the Greek, if you go back to the Greek meaning, one of the first definitions of grace is the divine influence of Christ on the heart. Oh, I love that. 
the divine influence of Christ on the heart. Has anyone ever influenced you? You ever been around where somebody's influenced you? They may not have said much, but maybe it's somebody you really respect, you admire. Maybe it's the girl you love, Judd. I wonder if she's changing your diet yet. Not yet? Oh, that's coming. You hang on. The influence is growing stronger, right, Megan? Influence is such a powerful thing. It can be unspoken many times. Influence is that which life itself excudes. It, it just comes out from you. It's like, as Paul said, the influence of aroma. It's like the smell of perfume, like we heard last Sunday from Brother Daniel. It's like you put on perfume and, or you, you crush you know, the leaves that, that make up this essential oils or, or, or the perfume and, and it just you open the can and it smells. When I anoint someone with oil, my hands smell of it all day long. I can wash my hands multiple times and my hand still smells of that fragrance of that oil because I lay my hand on top of your head after I put a little drop on. It's so strong. That's influence. That's called grace. Christ influencing my heart. Grace. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And how is that grace experienced? Through the love of God. This man, if you were to ask him, was he loved? What do you think he would answer? When I meet him one day, I can't wait to meet him, by the way, Jesus' first convert. None of the other disciples were converted, by the way. Did you know that? Jesus said to Peter, when you're converted, strengthen your brethren. That was at the end of his ministry. They weren't converted. They, the Holy Spirit had not regenerated yet, had not come yet to do that work in their hearts. They were following Jesus only outwardly. Inwardly, they were still fighting about who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom. Right up to the day before he died, or that, that weekend. This man wasn't fighting with anyone. He had been converted. He had been changed, transformed, justified. I can't wait to meet him. Jesus, first convert. What do you say he was loved? For God so loved the world that he gave his son Right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He was loved. How does he know he was loved? If you would ask him, how did you know that Jesus loved you that day? It was through forgiveness of sin. He became his propitiation. But did he still die on his cross? Yes, he did. Yet Jesus forgave him all his sins that day as he hung, dying for his sins. He hung, dying for his earthly sins in his earthly body, but forgiven in his spirit. His soul had become a new man. Forgiveness is the divine influence upon the heart. Grace leads us to the love of God. 1 John chapter 4 says, 
in verse 10, in this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for my sins. He knew he was loved that day. Christ had paid the penalty for his sins and justified him. And that love grows and grows. Jesus said the kingdom of God is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in the midst of dough. What does leaven do? You ladies who bake, I don't know anything about this. What does, what does it do when you put a little leaven inside bread dough? What happens to that little lump? All I know is when she bakes bread, it's like she puts it in the oven as this little tiny thing and it comes out this big thing. Nice, golden, crisp. Not at all like she put it in. The kingdom of God is just like that. The love of God put within a human heart grows just like that. It expands in understanding, in wisdom, in forgiveness. Love is experienced to a greater and greater degree, but more than in the forgiveness, in justification, in peace. The fruits of the Spirit are like leaven in the heart. Love grows, turns into joy. Joy grows, gives peace. Peace grows into endurance, patience, long-suffering. Makes you begin to be a gentleman, a gentlewoman. Gentleness. It brings goodness out of the heart. The heart that was desperately wicked. Who could know it? Starts Goodness starts coming out of the heart. Faith comes out of the heart. Meekness and temperance. Against such there's no law. Like little leaven put into the human heart. Grace. Love begins to grow. As it's justified and it recognizes that was God's righteousness in my life. And then love turns into something so beautiful. Something so transfixing and transforming that your life will never not only be the same, continue to be the same. It continues to grow and change and change and transform. Guess what that is? Someone tell me. Hmm? What do you think it is? Communion! Fellowship! The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all forever. That's what this man got. Today, you will be with me in paradise, fellowship. That's what we're here to celebrate. Fellowship. In married life, that's fellowship. Two fellows, the same ship. Two people. A lot of people live the Christian life like kayakers. You know the difference between a kayaker and in a canoe? What's the difference? When you have a canoe or a kayak? Lucas. Yep. Yeah, exactly. 
Let's say at least two. Are you a kayaker for Jesus? You're just doing life, going down through the stream. Sometimes it's peaceful, sometimes it's turbulent, but you're just hanging on. You're doing the best you can being a kayaker for Jesus. If you're a kayaker, very likely you'll boast about how well you do through the stream of life. But if you're a canoeer, and Christ is your lead canoeer, and you don't know anything about canoeing, you've never done this before, but Jesus is your teacher. Do it this way. Nope, paddle this way. Put them together. Now put them separate. We're turning. You just follow his lead. He teaches you. But the best part of it is you do life with him. Fellowship. That's what justification does to us. Mercy will never bring you into fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Justification will. And that's where the peace of God rules in my heart and mind. I'm now in fellowship. What does the cross mean to you? Is it only the mercy of God which forgives your sins whenever you confess it? Maybe you confess it once a week, maybe once a day, maybe once a month, maybe once a year like they did. Still, only you get mercy when you confess it. Or is it your justification? Christ becomes the propitiation his divine influence is on your heart. The love of God, love of God grows like yeast in your heart. And you're into fellowship with him forever. Now and forever. That's what we're here to celebrate. <clears throat> and when Jesus in John 10 spoke of communion and <laughs> you know the it, it, we read the, the story of the Last Supper in, in, in the different Gospels, but for me, I love the one of John the best. Do you know what the difference is of how John records in John 13, the Last Supper? What does he focus on? He starts with Jesus saying, I'm going to wash your feet. Someday, I would like to do that physically with you. The brothers with the brothers and the sisters with the sisters. Maybe we can pray about that. Just simply to enter into that as an outward experience of an inward truth. What does, it, what does it show? It speaks of fellowship. You know what the difference is? John 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17. You should all read it together because Jesus spoke it that night after he broke the bread. The deepest words of fellowship Jesus ever spoke in his life are recorded there. I'll send the comfort of the Holy Spirit. We're going to be one as the Father and I are one. He spoke of, you're not orphans anymore. I don't even call you servants anymore. I call you my friends. Oh, he took them deep right into his own heart. That's what I love about the Gospel of John and the Last Supper. And if we had the time, I would just read it through with you. But I encourage you, do that this month. Do that this week if you can. Read the Gospel of John and enter into this fellowship with him. 
Let's pray together before we break the bread. Father in heaven, we come to you in the name of Jesus. Oh Lord, I want to bless you for the fellowship of your Holy Spirit. Not only do we come to you in mercy, but you come to us, Lord, to justify us. It is the righteousness of God that redeems our soul, that, that transforms our life, that, that brings us into the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. And I pray that today as we break bread together and drink this grape juice in celebration of what you did on the cross, your finished work, when you said, it is finished, you became both the just and the justifier. All those who believe in you, would you do that work in our hearts? In a fresh, in a new, and a living way again today. In Jesus' name, amen.